Hey, no such thing, fam. Your support means the world to me. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. These reviews greatly influence Apple's algorithm, helping more people discover the show. Your brief review can make a big impact and ensure that I can continue to create content that you love for free. Thank you for being part of the No Such Thing community. Your reviews are a vital part of the journey, guiding others to join us on this adventure. Thank you. Enjoy the show. If I could snap my fingers and have a wish granted about the present and future of schools in the U.S., it would be this. Let's agree about what schools are for. Even if the answer is that the purpose of school should be to address the needs and hopes of the local context, making every school's purpose different, I think it would be a great step. As I think more about artificial intelligence in the context of education, and wonder how the best educators will take on AI as a reality that intersects learning, I come across two basic viewpoints. If I boldly cut out a lot of detail and nuance in order to make a generalization, which I'm about to, there's AI as a detractor, an element that steals away the integrity and essence of what it is to make meaning in the world and contribute ideas, and then AI as a propellant for new ways of operating, an aspect of reality that educators have a duty to make part of students' preparation. This kid's question characterizes that side well. In school, a lot of kids have been cheating or cheating. They've been using ChatGPT to write essays and book reviews and do their math. Do you think that it's really declared cheating if it's a tool that we're going to be able to use later on? Brilliant question. Let's give it up for here. That during an event by the very tech-forward entrepreneur and founder of the X Prize, Peter Diamandis. Why there's a school-age kid in the audience? Not sure. But I'm going to make a guess that it wasn't pure coincidence. I digress. I think there is merit to all of the questions we have. I think these questions will forever make us better at determining the purpose of education than a machine. Purpose feels really important because both arguments hold truth. When I was a kid, there was a period where I got really into primitive skills, like making fire with my hands and material I could source from the natural environment. My analogy to AI is that I think a lot of AI enthusiasts would argue that not teaching AI is the equivalent of holding students hostage to primitive methods of solving problems. But the question of authentic problems and solving them in school have been a topic of interest for decades. In a truly problem-based environment, questions we ask students wouldn't already have an answer, and eliminating modern tools for solving them would be inauthentic to the pedagogy, which in itself is about the authenticity of problem solving. But most of school isn't this way. To imply it would be to call every practice exercise into question, and a lot of school is about practice. I could see educators wanting a thousand different ways to practice solving a problem in order to get good at making meaning and solving problems for the moment when the authenticity of the problem becomes real. What am I saying? That if I'm a teacher, especially in a K-12 context, where the likelihood of just-in-time professional learning around AI is slim, it's fair to want to simply cut through the philosophical volleying and just start somewhere. That's what I think listeners can get out of AI in the future of education, teaching in the age of artificial intelligence, a book published this year, and maybe 
the one you're looking for. My name is Preeten, and I'm the author of AI and the Future of Education, Teaching in the Age of Artificial Intelligence. Preeten Shah is the CEO of Pedagogy.Cloud, which provides innovative tech solutions to help educators navigate global challenges in a rapidly evolving world. Pedagogy.Cloud has worked with over 200 different educational organizations to adapt and innovate during major world events, including COVID-19. He and his team are helping education organizations adapt to the growing capabilities of AI. He says, by understanding what AI is, what it does, and how it can be used to enhance education, you can let go of anxiety and uncertainty and learn to embrace artificial intelligence. It's true that along with tremendous opportunities, AI presents some challenges for the field of education. In this book, Preeden Shah helps you face these challenges head on so you can gain the knowledge and skills you need to use AI effectively in your classroom. This is one of a few conversations I'm publishing in the next few weeks on AI and learning, something of an anniversary celebration after the initial large language model boom a year ago. Enjoy the conversation. This is No Such Thing, a podcast about learning in the digital age. I'm Mark Lesser. Preeton, I'm, I'm super excited to have you on the show and to talk a little bit about the book. The book is called AI and the Future of Education. Uh, subtitle, Teaching in the Age of Artificial Intelligence. And we're talking, hopefully this episode is going to be up right around the anniversary of uh, the the launch of ChatGPT, among other exciting uh, tools at that time. And um, it's important to me that we're talking not just to experts uh, of the technology, but also folks who are really thinking specifically about the technology as it relates to classroom learning um, uh, and and elsewhere. So the ways that learning plays out in our lives. I usually ask, um, sometimes I ask folks uh, about their own education, and I'm curious about that for you. Tell me, uh, outside of, uh, I'm going to assume that education for you happened mostly pre-AI. Tell me about it. Yeah. Um, so I went to a large uh, public school in suburban New York. Um, then I went to Harvard and studied philosophy there um, for four years, including work on education. Um, took a year to work on my company um, and then went back uh, for my master's in education policy from Harvard. No AI during any of that time in terms of the instructional methods, at least. Yeah, although why do I find that um, so many AI uh, experts, enthusiasts, um, folks who are pundits around AI are either um, folks who studied philosophy or folks who studied cognitive science. Um, some I've, I've actually talked to as well uh, studied um, uh, language, like, um, you know, semantics and, and those kinds of things. What do you make of that? Yeah, I think AI really throws a wrench in a lot of things that philosophers love thinking about. Um, I think it makes for great thought experiments. Um, and I think it, it, for multiple different angles, right? Whether it be um, the ethics of how we view society and political philosophy, lots of different implications for what the future looks like, um, but also for more uh, meta philosophy. And so whether we're thinking about um, the philosophy of thinking, the philosophy of the mind, um, a lot of epistemology works, all that proves really exciting for philosophers who keep thinking about the, the things that make them excited um, in really new contexts. I can buy that. I think... Uh... I think philosophy is one of those um, disciplines that we really need right now. Um, and hopefully we'll get into that a little bit. But but um, 
First thing I wanted to ask you is, uh, I think it's super interesting because you do address it in the book. What function did AI play in writing the book? Yeah, uh, there's a reason I start with that in the book as well. Um, a fair question and one that I get asked a lot. Um, and so the short answer is um, AI played a role at different stages in the book. And so um, it played the role of a thought partner for me oftentimes, um, a place for me to bounce my ideas off of. Um, now, the book was being written in the early stages of some of this technology still. The improvements we've seen since the book, have, the book has been published might have meant that I use it very differently now than I would have um, when I wrote the book. Um, but at that time, um, it was a great way for me to say things like, hey, these are the chapters I'm thinking about. Am I missing something? Hey, these are the bullet points I have for this particular sentence I'm working on. Is there something that I could re reword? Is there something redundant? Um, those kinds of thought partnership activities definitely uh, played a role in. Um, it also played a role in helping edit the book. And so Grammarly was my uh, go-to, and it still is my go-to uh, tool for spelling and grammar and syntax um, in terms of wordiness, in terms of all those kinds of things. It does a great job of suggesting alternatives, um, and that's built on AI technology. And so that was a favorite tool of mine. Um, and then it did a great job of helping me brainstorm examples when I was just running out of things to say. And so um, you'll see I my brain gravitates towards to kill a mockingbird. And so a lot of the examples in the book used to kill a mockingbird. Um, but if I if I only used my brain, you would have only seen examples of to kill a mockingbird in terms of context. And so it was a great help in terms of coming up with some other um, other things to think about it when you know providing prompt examples and context um, specific things. That's fun. Uh... Um, I think uh, lots of folks are going to be interested in the ways the book can help them to operate in the way that you just described. Um, and and we'll talk more about that. But first, say more about the motivation for the book and what experiences of yours inform the writing. You were like, oh, I need to write this book. It, it's not out there. Tell me what was the spark for that? Um, so my experience in like education and technology, um, is like very varied across the last decade. Um, I actually started as a high schooler. Um, I launched a nonprofit organization where we were, um, building websites that helped students get peer tutoring, um, online. And so, um, as technology has progressed since, since I was a high schooler, uh, my, my solutions have progressed with it. And so, um, I spent time for the last few years before, um, COVID, working on mastery learning solutions, um, whether it be language-based or for argumentation. Um, then I spent the years of COVID working with teachers and institutions and adapting to the one of the largest crises we've had in modern education. Um, and then when uh, ChatGPT came out, um, there was a lot of uproar about the dangerous implications for education. And that's kind of how a lot of folks became initially interested. Um, while I'm sitting here, um, very excited. And so, um, that was the point where I was like, okay, there's clearly some mismatch between how I'm seeing these things um, and how the general public and educators uh, as a whole are seeing these things. Um, and the book, the book is really there. And so that's where um, the book comes out from the perspective of, you know, this is not a scary thing, but it's also not a fat because um, those, you know, those seem to be two of the um, two of the more popular takes on it, especially again when the book initially. Um, I'm sitting there thinking we need something um, for teachers to be able to understand this. Um, apply it practically. Um, they don't really care about the computer science behind it, rightfully so, um, but they also don't care what the technology is going to be in five to 10 years. Um, they need to know what this does for them this school year. The book came out right in early September in time for them to kind of pick it up, um, be a very practical guide, um, and try to be as timeless as possible given the rapid developments. Um, and that this was, you know, that this was my aim at doing all of those things. Yeah. The other part of the book that I think um, excites me is I also wanted to plant some seeds. And so 
um, the early chapters and the later chapters, right? The middle is very meat and bones. Here's how we can um, approach this in the classroom on a regular basis. Um, but I also want to start planting some seeds about things that I think we're going to have to rethink long term, um, but also not do it in a scary way, right? So I, I try to make it very clear that I think the things that we value as educators, the things that we have been doing as educators for these for hundreds of years, um, aren't fundamentally going to change overnight. Um, the why we do them aren't going to change overnight. Um, but we will have to rethink a lot of things as well. And so um, the book tries to please plant those, some of those seeds so folks can start thinking about them so that when we have to make those decisions, um, we can all have collaborative conversations about it. Yeah. The subtitle is Teaching in the Age of Artificial Intelligence. I want to make sure the in, you know I have the intended audience right. Um, I think the book is unique in that it's for teachers specifically. Does that feel right? That's absolutely right. The book was written for every single teacher across the country, um, not policymakers, not, you know, philosophers, um, but for real teachers in the classroom working with students. And your first chapter kind of gives away your stance on the subject, which is embracing AI in education. Tell me more about why you think it's important to take that stance. Yeah, um, I don't think we have a choice. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think there's there's an inevitability aspect here. Um, and I think that this is where we have an option to fight something that's inevitable um, or start embracing it and figure out productive uses for it. And I think the book also, you know, I, I don't think that AI is going to be the magic pill that solves everything um, for our educational system. Um, but I also don't think it's the it's going to destroy everything. And so um, I think the, the general stance that I have is that we need to be cautious um, and deliberate about how we think about these technologies. Um, but I also don't think we can avoid them. And so the embracing part is inevitable. Um, I think doing it in ethical ways and in smart ways that are to service to our students, um, I think is the key. Elements of the book are almost like a workbook. And I love that. Um, even down to like, um, down to like the weight of the book, I felt like I was like, you know, walking around with a workbook in my hands. Um, it seems like clearly part of the goal is about helping apply the ideas in context. Say, say more about what you were hoping to achieve with just sort of the format and layout of, of what's inside. Yeah, um, I think that the book is doing its job if that's the vibe you're getting. Um, and so when the book was uh, conceptualized, we did want something that a teacher could, you know, carry around with them on a daily basis, play around with a little bit. Um, but then the play around with part is key here. And I think that's where the workbook aspect I think you're picking up is coming from. Um, a lot of these things you can read a bunch of articles about, you can listen to these podcasts, you can take a PD course on, um, but until you're in there using it yourself and trying to figure out what's possible, what's not possible, how would I think about these things? And what does this mean for exactly what I do on a daily basis? None of it's gonna really click. Um, and the book's goal is to help teachers navigate that process. How can they sit in front of their computer, open these tools up and start playing around with them so that they can start coming up with their own ideas and their own um, opinions on these things. And so the book does, the book tries to end every chapter with an exit ticket. Um, so there's a very practical takeaway that they can take um, away from and do something about. Um, and then there's lots of prompts and these prompts aren't meant to be the like exact right, perfectly written prompt. They're supposed to start showing the wider variety of things that a teacher might want to think about uh, doing with AI. For for folks, um, you know, my dad's listening, no doubt. Uh, tell him what an exit ticket is. Yeah, so an exit ticket um, is a, a classroom activity normally that a teacher will do before a student is dismissed from the class. And the book does a similar thing. So this is a, a final way to ask for the teacher to do a comprehension check, make sure they can apply what they've learned from the chapter um, before they move on to the next one. Nice. 
New York released a plan recently on the state of AI for the city. It's sort of like a, a policy stance. And with respect to education, it places a lot of onus on CS education, um, CS computer science educators is what I'm talking about. So my question for you is what role do you think computer science education plays in the bigger picture? Um, like, I feel like some people feel like it's just noise for everyone else. Um, but who to you is the AI educator? So I'll answer the second part of the question first. And I think the answer is everyone. Um, and I think this is why the policy stands, um, you know, placing that onus just on computer science teachers, I think is problematic. Um, Cause first I think feeding into the narrative that this is noise for everybody else, um, that nobody else wants to think about it or integrate it within their classrooms um, into their actual curriculum rather, um, I think is a mistake. I think that our students are going to need to be able to tackle these, these questions, the implications, the integrations from a wide variety of angles. Um, the book does a lot of um, advocacy for interdisciplinary education. Um, and I think so. I think these traditional silos of this is what a computer science teacher teaches and this is what a social studies teacher teaches. Um, I don't think those are going to outlast um, the advent of AI. Um, and so I think we're going to have to start thinking about what does it mean to teach writing an essay? And what does that have implications for what a teacher says, an English teacher says in um, their classroom, rather than relying on just the computer science teachers to explain what AI is? Um, so, you know, I think I think New York City is um, ahead of the curve in terms of a lot of the things they're doing. Um, I think they're one of the first cities to put out an AI plan. Um, they also were very, very clear when they backtracked on the ban um, late in the spring. And I think that that was one of the, my favorite moments um, and I, that's in the book, in fact, because it was like as I was writing the conclusion statement that came out. Um, and I was just, you know, that's where um, I think New York City is doing the right thinking about these things in deliberate ways. Um, I think this is one of those things that they're going to they're going to start realizing they need to. Um, there's Computer science teachers, of course, should be working on AI projects um, and integrating AI curriculum, um, but so do the rest of the teachers in New York City. What did you love about that moment where they where they kind of rolled back the yeah. opinion? Yeah, yeah. Um, to see a policy, first of all, just from a political philosophy standpoint, seeing a you know a politician get up there, um, a public official get up there um, and admit a mistake that clearly um, is is great. I think it sets a really good tone for democracy. I think it does a good thing for public discourse. Um, so just in terms of the actual moment, it was, it was good. Um, and then I think that there was, there was a mission of fall and there was a mission of, um, a short guided, a short term, um, vision of what the implications of these things were. And I think that helped communicate to everybody. Um, and New York city is not a school district that's, you know, no one's, everybody thinks when something happens in New York city, public school district, everybody's following it. Right. So, um, I think it was a great moment for the rest of the country to kind of think, okay, New York city is now reevaluating their stance on this ban. They see this as a long-term, um, a thing that's going to stay long-term in education. Um, so what does that mean for us? And so I think that, of course, it was great for all the students and teachers in New York City, um, but I think it also did a lot of justice to um, to do the right advocacy across the country. Yeah. I think that's super well put. Tell me, tell me let's talk about examples for a second. Um, tell me about some of the smartest adaptations you've heard practitioners making after uh, these technologies working with large language models hit the mainstream a year ago. And I feel like some of them are in the book, but knowing that you are also training educators, you're probably hearing about uh, some of them as you go. What are some of your favorites? Almost all of my favorites definitely fall into um, two buckets. And so um, I think any way that a writing teacher is integrating AI right now makes me really excited. Because um, I think that that was the first wave of concern came out from um, the what happens to the essay 
Um, and seeing the evolution of that, it makes me really excited because I don't think the essay needs to go anywhere. Um, I think it's more about rethinking how we teach it, um, why we teach it, and justifying that to our students. And so um, I think when teachers are integrating it in the research stage and helping students navigate that, um, helping students use it the same way I used it for the book and helping them navigate the thought partnership um, with AI as a sounding buddy. Um, I think that those are the things that excite me because I think that's the, that's the real potential for how these technologies will be integrated long term, right? So um, there's lots of, you know, fancy, um, let's use this for AI image generation for my PowerPoint. Um, but in terms of really helping the students think better and think more clearly and use it at, you know, use it in ways that advantageous to their the pedagogical goals we have in a classroom, um, I think that, that the writing classes um, really highlight that from because of the extremes that we've kind of had within one year. Mm. Um, the other bucket is that other side, which is, um, I think, especially the higher ed level, um, professors who are assigning much more complex assignments now because um, they can offload a lot of the grunt work, a lot of the easy work to AI systems. And so, um, you know, professors that say, instead of now you're producing this proposal, you're actually going to implement the whole project because you can do a lot of it with AI now. Um, and so you don't have to just like sketch out a potential thing you might want to do. Um, you get to actually go ahead and do it. Um, and I think that's, that's again, like starting to think about how my students can think about these technologies long-term and how they're going to really be implemented in it within their careers. Um, I think seeing professors encouraging students to start thinking about, okay, now that AI can do these things, what could I do um, that's my unique value add as a human? How can I take this to the next level? Um, and how can I use this to work faster and smarter? Um, and I think that, that those, all of those kinds of projects are really exciting. Yeah. Uh, in case you haven't lately, uh, one of the things that I've been doing recently is just um, I will get on places like TikTok and just search, you know, how do I uh, beat AI detection for my paper just like as a student? Yeah. And the stuff is hysterical and fantastic. Uh, the comment threads are extremely rich. But if you're an educator, I'll just say this, that from my experience, if you're an educator, professor in higher education, a secondary teacher, um, you should be doing that. Um, partly because I think a lot of folks, the sort of black box of like, oh, you know, how would I ever know if my young people are, um, quote unquote, cheating? Um, within, you know, three or four <laughs> flicks of a thumb, you can, you can grok a whole lot about exactly what, what is on students' mind who are really in a pinch. Most of them are like, I'm turning something in tomorrow. Um, how do I get around X? So, uh, anyway, I recommend it for anybody. Um, you say in the book that AI exposes fractures and pain points in the existing system. And I wanted you to hopefully say some more about that. Yeah, um, we can probably spend the entire episode on that exact sentence. Um, and I wish I could have spent the whole book on that sentence. Um, and I'm glad you caught it. Um, so, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of band-aid solutions that we have implemented within um, our educational system um, across the last hundred years at least. Um, and, you know, my go-to example is um, we did that during COVID and I helped support a lot of those mandates during COVID. Um, and there was good reason for it. There was that we, th we knew, we hoped it would end at some point. We knew that this would, there'd be a return to some sort of normalcy. And so there was no need really to uh, come up with long-term um, systematic changes within our system uh, just because of COVID. Um, AI is different. We, it is here to stay. It is here to become more complicated and create bigger problems. 
um, and expose these pain points a little uh, even more. And so my a, a, maybe an example here. Um, so student engagement levels. Um, we had it's not like our student engagement levels pre-COVID were through the roof. Um, and COVID made student engagement levels even lower. Students had trouble engaging over Zoom classes. Um, they had trouble without the social elements of a school. Um, and so we we did, you know, as educators, we did our best. We did more game nights. We did more integration of, oh, maybe if you don't want to turn your camera on, you can chat these things. Um, maybe you can post this on the Flipboard. Um, but they didn't really solve the engagement problem as a whole. Um, now, AI is going to expose that even further. Um, I think we're going to have to do um, a lot more to keep our students engaged. And I think this is where we're starting to see some of the, the justificatory process in education as an educator, um, where you have to explain to a student um, why you're doing what you're doing in a classroom. Um, and I think we can oftentimes get away with it. We've taken it for granted um, and we try our best as educators. Um, but I think that, that that exact role of an educator in terms of justifying to a student why they're learning what they're learning um, is not something that we pay a lot of attention to. And so oftentimes the incentives are, you have a standardized test, you need to go to college, you have to pass this class in order to go to the next grade. Um, but those things don't really help the student conceptualize, why am I sitting here learning how to write an essay, right? The, the motive can't just be the standardized test or um, college admissions um, passing your class. Um, and I think AI is going to make that much worse because now the question that we, you know, we early math teachers know how to answer when someone says, oh, I can do two plus two with a calculator. Why do I have to learn that? They have it mastered. And I think we need to learn from them in terms of how are we going to approach answering those questions um, at a higher level. And so a math teacher will tell you, well, if you can't do this without a calculator, it'll be hard for you to learn the next level skills. Um, and I'm hoping that we can do much more of that even at the high school and higher ed level and explain to students um, exactly why, you know, why we teach what we teach um, in terms of it being part of a process and not an end result. Um, but that's only one pain point. Um, and I think the other big one to talk about, and we can, you know, we can kind of outline a couple of other ones as well. Um, but I think, well, maybe the other two, the other two pain points that I think we can talk about today are um, inequity. Um, and so we have lots of gaps in education. We have a digital divide, we have an achievement gap. Um, and all these gaps can go either of ways with AI. And I think that there's, I, I dedicate some time in the book to talk about this as well. Um, and so a lot of folks are talking about AI as a way to make education more equitable and whether it be um, from the angle of serving students with our with special needs, um, whether it be from the angle of helping students who need a bit more um, individual attention in order to get up to grade level, um, reading level um, or math levels. Um, but we also have the potential to make those gaps much worse. And so this is where, you know, we really have to think through systematic things in our systems, in our education system, um, in order to avoid making that gap worse. And so we could also make, you know, the achievement gap much worse because the only the private schools are integrating AI technology. They're the ones preparing their students for the next wave of the world. Um, and then we're still leaving behind um, students in impoverished areas because they don't have access to these technologies. Um, and that that gap is going to get substantially worse if that's, if that's the end result. Um, the other, you know, concern within our education system is teacher burnout. Um, and there's a lot of stuff coming out uh, about AI, and we're putting out some of the two that says this is this could be a solution to some of the teacher burnout problems. And I think that while there's some truth there, and I think that there's ways to approach this that would solve teacher burnout, um, we also have to be mindful of the fact that teachers are partially struggling right now because they are already burnt out. So, you know, maybe if we were talking about preventing teacher burnout in five years, then we can only focus on AI as the way to do that. Um, I think the problem is we're, we already have a burnout crisis. Um, and getting teachers to figure out how they're going to adapt their workflow, their classrooms, um, and figure out how they're going to be able to get the right PD, you know, read this book even, um, while they're burnt out and adapt to AI 
um, I think is a question that we all need to spend some time answering. And so, um, you know, those, those are probably the three, the three pain points in education that I think are the, are the worst. Um, and the AI kind of starts highlighting how um, we need to deal with these much more urgently than I think we have been. Mm -hmm. Thinking about that thing you said about um, burnout for educators. And I think about what keeps me from feeling burnt out in my day to day. Um, you know, the motivators need to, there needs to be a certain balance, right, between the grind and the motivators and a certain kind of, um, uh, a, a certain belief, I guess, that the the payoff, you know, the the motivators and the payoff are are worth the grind, if that makes sense. Um, I wonder, you know, just from as you're thinking about it, do you think that AI can help with that weird equation I just presented? <laughs> I mean, I think this is where the longer term questions that we have to ask of our system will come in play. And so um, I think that if we, if the implication that AI has in our educational system is that we move away from standardized testing, um, we move away from um, a really rigid curriculum, we move away from the lack of teacher independence, um, I think we might be able to solve that aspect of burnout. Um, I think that if teachers get to focus on their in their classrooms on why they're teaching what they're teaching um, genuinely, right? Like mo most teachers um, go into teaching um, with a passion for the subject matter and for their students, and they see a relation between the two. Um, and I think by the time you get into a classroom, um, that part gets dismantled. You no longer are seeing um, anything, but I'm told by my admin, I'm told by the state, I'm told by um, the federal government that I need to get my students to pass this XYZ test to hit this XYZ standard. Um, and then it's really hard to see why you want to teach history in a classroom if you're just worried about passing um, the end of the year exam or getting your students to pass the end of the year exam. Rather. Um, and I'm hoping that as we reevaluate what our educational system's goals are, what we want to get out of it for our students, um, and how we want to do that in a way that's sustainable and actually pragmatic in a world of AI, um, that we can hopefully allow teachers to tap into their initial motivations a little bit more. So what do you think are some of the specific tasks that are worth offloading to AI for the teacher who's listening to this and is like, give me the, like, just tell me, just tell me where to start using this tomorrow to maybe start to feel the effects of AI. What would those things be? Where would you point them? Yeah. And the book has a lot of prompts for this, but um, I think that there's like probably three areas that I think are um, great places for teachers to start. And so um, I think a really easy place to start and start playing around with things is in terms of building curriculum. And so um, whether that's building lesson plans, whether that's building a worksheet, whether that's building an essay prompt, um, all everything related to the actual things that go into the classroom before um, the teacher steps into the classroom, um, a lot of that can be streamlined. Um, a lot of that can be made more effective. A lot of that can, you can innovate on much more easily. Um, and I think that getting a, a lot of that workflow that's not student-facing offloaded to AI, I think is a great place to start. Um, I think the other part is the admin work. And so uh, the amount of emails and newsletters and permission slips and managing of all those things, grade books, um, whether it be, you know, coming up with an Excel sheet to keep track of all of this, uh, all of your grades, all who turned in permission slips, whatever, whatever that might be. Um, I think a lot of that work can be offloaded to AI. And so that's where um, I think that 
the teacher's expertise is really not being used when they're sitting there um, sending a bunch of emails, um, you know, responding to the admin about a particular issue or even creating lesson plans in a particular format. Um, I think all those kinds of things can be offloaded to AI and give teachers the cognitive bandwidth to um, show up better for their students. And I think that's where um, I hope that we can, you know, I hope that, that that kind of ends up being the end result is that we'll be able to have teachers who have a much better work-life balance. Um, and I think that will make, make them show up better for their students. And I think that's, that's exciting to me. Um, I think that the crucial aspects of education that are centered on human interaction are not going anywhere. Um, and so if we can get rid of some of the things that are uh, causing a backlog, that are causing teachers to spend hours um, on their computers after hours, um, can kind of start being offloaded to AI, then that means that the hours of teachers are in front of students, they can be better for them. Yeah. The media have picked up on this story about AI replacing teachers. First of all, uh, what do you think about whether or not this is something the world really needs to worry about? That is one of the most ridiculous claims coming out of the news cycle lately. How, um, how so? Tell me more. I think, yeah. Um, I think anybody who has been inside a classroom um, recently, um, especially from a teacher standpoint, let alone from a student standpoint, um, can see that so much of what happens in a classroom is not uh, is is tied to the human element. Um, and I think this is why you know when we think about very simple last couple of years of evidence of why Zoom fatigue and why um, folks had a trouble engaging in classes that they were normally not struggling with um, when they happened digitally. Um, I think that starts to highlight how much of a role the social elements of school play for our students' development and engagement. Um, and that will not be replaced by AI. The way a teacher can sit down next to a student while they're struggling on a math problem, you know, crouch down, um, reassure them, help them through, um, an AI algorithm giving them the next hint is not going to do the same thing. Um, the way a teacher can adapt and read the student's face in the classroom, give them a hug as they're leaving the classroom, um, you know, really be able to speak to a parent, ask questions of the parent because they notice something off in the classroom. All of those human elements are not going anywhere. Um, also, the idea that AI, the idea that our school systems are only playing a role in this, like, they need to learn these math skills, these English skills, um, I think I think there's a disservice to what role schools actually play for our students. And so, um, you know, when we think about what role um, SEL plays in terms of the strength of our students and how they're going to navigate the future, and in terms of thinking about what skills our students are going to need in the future um, in order to be more effective members of society, um, I think a lot of those fall into those soft human skills. Um, and I think we're going to need humans to teach those skills. And so um, anybody who thinks that a AI is going to replace a teacher, um, I think I think is severely misguided as to the role teachers play. Um, and gosh, I really hope that um, that narrative stops go starts to go away. So um, uh, more interesting connection that you make in the book, I think, um, is about how, uh, about how the role of a programmer in some ways is like a teacher. And I wanted you to explain that. Cause I think, I think it explains some, some interesting parts of how AI works that, just might be a more yeah. useful analogy than than some that are out there. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that in terms of the role of a programmer who is working on AI, um, a huge chunk of their work right now is in helping these systems learn. I mean, that's that's why we call it machine learning. Um, and I think that in terms of thinking about 
the way that a, a machine learning um, programmer is going to sit down um, and isolate out, here are the steps that this algorithm needs in order to learn effectively. Here are the things it needs to learn in order to produce this, ex ex this output. Um, here are the things it needs to be able to think about. Here's the knowledge it needs in order to act on it. Um, those are all very similar to how a teacher and how we as educators and educational systems think about the role of our role within um, schools. And so um, we spend a lot of time thinking about how would a student best learn? Um, what do they need to know in order to act on it um, and produce something from it? Um, how would it learn best? How to learn more effectively? Um, all those kinds of things are part of what we think about as educators. Um, and I think is very similar to the work of a computer programmer sitting there trying to figure out how to create um, the best AI algorithms. So if we um, if we like that analogy and and play it out further, the idea of a programmer putting together a model and then like washing their hands of it and stepping away as though this is the this is the end game. This is the final version of their practice um, would be silly. That's right. Um, yeah, there's a there's a very iterative process um, in programming, and I think this is why we're seeing. I mean, even the amount of developments we're seeing that are happening rapidly is because of that. Um, I think there's there's always questions that a programmer will ask, and you know, I I spend about half of my days coding, um, and then there's always a moment where you're like, could I have done that more effectively? Could I have done that more efficiently? Um, is there something that I'm missing? Is there some flaw in my logic that's going to cause a problem later on? Um, and I think all of that is very similar to how a teacher might, you know. We'll go to bed at night uh, before they sleep. They might think, did I explain that in the right way? Is this going to trip them up on the final exam mm. if I don't re-clarify this tomorrow? Um, you know, those kinds of questions and pondering about how do I do this better tomorrow for my students? Um, how do I make sure that what I was trying to achieve for them um, and with them is doable and is, was done? Um, I think is very similar to how a computer programmer has that iterative process um, in terms of thinking about how their systems and algorithms can be improved. Yeah, I like that. Um... It's also just a useful way that folks are not thinking enough about the technology of AI. Um, and, you know, what is meant when we talk about, you know, words like generative, um, I think, you know, uh, the how early we are in the overall sort of practice of building something that is ultimately um, useful, <laughs> you know, is is often overlooked. Right. And, and I think that this analogy is an, is a nice one that comes up in the book. Um, I only, we have to land this, this, uh, plane. And I have two questions that I wanted to ask you. I want to end on a, on a sort of practical example, but the first, the first one of the two is, I, tell me, what do you think the risk is of, for teachers who are not planning an integration strategy for AI, who are who are like adamantly, you know, in their car on the way to school, um, thinking, you know, it's all noise, and I'm going to keep doing what I do until it's over. Like, what's the risk? Yeah, um, I think there's there's two risks, and I think one's teacher facing and one's student facing, and so. Um, I think the first risk is that um, the teacher is left behind. Um, and I think that the, the reality is that our students are going to be learning these things regardless of what is happening in our classrooms. Um, they'll use TikTok to share tips with each other. They'll continue um, to engage in it outside of the classroom. Um, and at some point, if a teacher is not thinking about how might my student be using this um, in my classroom, 
um, they'll be they'll all everything that they're aiming to do for their students is not going to be happening. Um, and so if you're not thinking about how can all these assignments that I'm sending home, this homework that I'm assigning, um, and even justifying to my students why we're doing what we're doing in the classroom, um, if none of that is happening, um, I think the role that the teacher will play in a student's life will get diminished um, quite a bit. Um, the second is I think it'll do a severe injustice to our students. And so um, this is where I'm worried about um, if the gap between who is taught and who is not taught about AI um, continues to widen, I think those the students who are not getting that formal education about AI literacy, AI ethics, um, I think they're going to be at a disservice um, when they graduate, and whether it be high school, whether it be college, um, and when they enter the future world, because um, you know the world that current college freshmen will be entering when they graduate college will be vastly different. Mm. Um, if you're a middle school teacher or a high school teacher, um, that's only even more so true. Um, and so I think I think we want to make sure that our students are prepared for the future um, and they're not getting left behind. And we want to make sure we have that role in our students' lives. Um, I think we have to start thinking about what this means for how we teach and what we teach. Hmm. I want to I want to wind up on a practical example that brings people back to uh, reason to get into the book. I love the section that suggests prompts for educators to use in a space like ChatGPT, which is which is one tool, right? There are there are several. Um, do you have one or two that you think best characterize the potential for an educator who's thought uh, maybe thought a little bit about AI, but hasn't used it yet, or or folks who listen, hopefully listen to this and think, I haven't thought about it yet, but now I will. Like, what are the prompts um, you would put in their head as like a, a little uh, a, a thought worm to maybe motivate them to take the next step? My favorite prompt to encourage teachers to do when they're first encountering this technology is to share a lesson plan or an activity planned that is coming up and paste that right into the prompt box, um, the chat box, um, and then ask ChatGPT or Bing Chat or Bard. Um, or let's start with ChatGPT. Um, ask it how it would improve it um, and see what the response is. And I think that, that that starts to highlight the iterative process that you can go through with ChatGPT. So um, I think just having it give you some feedback and figure out what you could do better, I think will highlight for a teacher um, what role this can play long term. And so while the book has lots of prompts about really specific, here's how you can make a worksheet with 10 multiple choice questions. Um, here's how you can use this to unit plan a new class you've been assigned. Um, all those kinds of things at the end of the day are only as useful as the teacher can really have a thought partnership with these tools. Um, and so I think using the very first step should be get some feedback on something you're already doing and see how you think about that feedback. I love that. What, um, so, uh, what would your next prompt be? Let's say, um, let's say you're in an inclusion classroom and a third of the students in your class are, you know, being pulled out for reading comprehension or, or things like that. What, what's your next prompt on the feedback it gave you? Right. Um, I would ask it to help me implement that feedback. And so maybe it suggests, you know, that here's, here's like, an, you should differentiate this activity. So there's three different reading levels um, offered for this passage. Um, have it do that for you. Um, you can put in that same reading passage and have it say, make three different reading levels of this. Um, and so this is where I think, again, like the conversational aspect of these tools is what made it popular. Um, and I think folks are expecting a, you know, we're used to technology systems where we go in, we put a, click a bunch of buttons and we get an output and we take, walk away with that output. Um, this is not a calculator. You're not pressing a one and done calculation and getting a result. 
you want to have a conversation, treat it like another, you know, the thinking pal, another teaching assistant. Um, and once, once it's given you that feedback, you like some of the feedback, um, ask it to implement it, help you implement it, ask it to do the next step. Tell it you don't like the feedback. You think it's inaccurate and tell it exactly why you think it's inaccurate. Um, and all those things will create that these systems are built to have conversations with you. Um, and so that's, that's, that's the way to approach it is to, um, when you don't like something it produced, when you don't agree with it, tell it so and give it another chance. Um, and I think that's where a lot of teachers, I think, felt, I think we saw a huge surge in teachers using the tools um, last spring. And I think we saw a little bit of a, a dip for a bit for folks who are like, oh, that's not doing what I want. Um, and I think that's why I think it's because, you know, sitting there and giving it the chance to incorporate your fee your feedback as well, um, I think is really what will help you use these tools to the best of their ability without having to sit through some like 10 module prompt engineering course. I, I don't think that's necessary if you sit, are willing to sit there and have a conversation. Preden Shah, uh, I can now officially verify that you are not a robot. Um, seriously, I think that this conversation we're having is is so important. And I think the fact that you are using the book and the work you're doing to train and evolve, not just the educator's practice, but also be engaging educators in a dialogue that's also going to refine your practice and, and your ways and ideas of how you can help um, is really important. And I think it's big and important work. And, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited to celebrate it in the show. And I hope you'll come back and tell me more as you start to update the book and learn more from the training that you're doing. The book is AI in the Future of Education, Teaching in the Age of Artificial Intelligence. I'm really excited that you could be here. Thank you so much for having me. It was a joy. For more info about advertising with us, sponsoring the show, or if you have story ideas you want to share, find me on Twitter, at M.A. Lesser. The tracks in this podcast were produced by Leroy Tindy, a guest in Episode Zero, alumni of two bomber nations, Ithaca and the Bronx, New York, and engineer of digital things and fresh beats. Find him on SoundCloud at Air Tindy Beats. No such thing is produced by me, Mark Lesser, a learner like you, and our show notes can be found at nosuchthingpodcast.org.